0: I mentioned, the main scripture for today is going to be Jeremiah 1 and 10. And I'm just, I know some of you like, why didn't you do 5 through 10? There's a reason. I'm going to explain it. So Jeremiah 1 and 10, in the New King James Version, it reads, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, highlight to build, and to plant my focus on today is going to be on the phrase to build so you understand where i'm going on today so for those who desire a title god is giving this title and will not move me from it until i get it out it is that the title for today is going to be steadfast builders Father God, you have moved in this place already in the name of Jesus, so we're not going to delay you moving any further. I pray that your word will come out of my mouth. I'll bind up every form of distraction that will try to derail this message on today. The enemy has already tried to derail, and we will not fall into his traps in the name of Jesus. So have your way. Allow for this word to bless your people, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so for those who may not be aware of the connection point that has happened over the past four to six weeks, you will notice before the women's retreat, which is the end of September, the women's retreat would happen the last week of September, and into the month of October, which is also linked up to us celebrating the third festival, was also aligned to us going into the new Hebraic year, 5784, which is the year of the open door. You may have noticed that our sermon titles have stayed in Steadfast, but we've kind of shifted in talking about this press. We've talked about staying the course. We've talked about um, being focused. so We fulfill our purpose. And Pastor Vince Moody reminded us of routines that we need to focus to be able to do so. So you may be like, well, where does this go with Steadfast Builders? Like, why is that in there? What we have to understand is that God is having us all in a press season. He has it in the season in which he's trying to keep us focused on the task that we stated we would be on in January of this year. When we talked about we were going to be steadfast, and one of the things about steadfast that we talk about when we talk about being firm and movable, firm, all those things, is that tests and trials are going to come to try to knock us off our block. The winds and the waves are going to come to try to see if we're really about the words that we proclaim. We have to remember that nothing is validated unless it is tested. And so many times we try to give the enemy credit to test us when it is God who is testing us in the midst of the season to fortify the very thing that he has revealed to us in this time and to try to purify us from any impurity that cannot go with us through the open door that he's leading us to. So, in this mess. God took me back to Jeremiah 1 and 10, and we already read it before. And so many times I hear this scripture, I think about all the destruction that God has given Jeremiah to do. That I have set you over nations. I've set you over kingdoms. And he talked about the purpose that he gave them. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. But it's the last two words that we tend to not give a lot of credence to. We talk about deconstruction, but deconstruction comes before we start to construct the way God intended things to be. So we focus on to build and to plant. Now, once again, my assignment today is not to talk about planting. I'll leave that to when God gives that to someone else. Hopefully not me, because I'm doing to build on today in Jesus' name. But in the midst of being um, talking about us to build, we have to understand that in building, there's a lot of steps in and pieces that have to come in place, which is gonna lead me to my first point on today, is that as being steadfast builders, that means God is telling us to build something. There's something that God wants us to build. There's something that God wants us to construct. There's something that God wants us to develop. There's something that there's a purpose and an assignment that God has given us to do that is a part of our overall purpose of our lives. So we have to remind ourselves to build what God told us to build. Okay, where am I going with this? Let me help you. So if we were to look at Nehemiah 1, and you start at Nehemiah, that he is a, a cupbearer for the king. What you will notice is that him being a cupbearer for the king, during that position, he received messages of what was going on in Jerusalem, the destruction. That occurred, the gates being burned, things being destroyed. And all of a sudden, he was felt over with emotions of what was going on with his kinsmen. And he prayed to God and like, God, what, what do I do? God, I have this desire, I have this burning desire to do something. But now I'm sad, and when we go into Nehemiah 2, we see that the king sees that his, his cupbearer, the person that's next to him in the space where business is transacting, is sad. And as a king, he has all right to kill Nehemiah on sight. As a king, he gets to set the atmosphere, and if someone is sat around him, off with your head, he has the authority to do so. But the king didn't do that this time. What he did, he asked Nehemiah, what's going on? Why are you so sad? He noticed something was different about his cupbearer. And you have to understand that God will notice when something is different about us and give us an opportunity to say what is pressing upon our heart. And we cannot miss that opportunity. But when we go to Nehemiah 2, 5 through 8, what we see is Nehemiah's response to the king. He says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, Favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent. Sorry, yes, it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the rivers that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to um, Esaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the synodal, which pertains to the temple, for the city walls, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So just quickly recap, because once again, now we're at the point where we're talking about taking off. Nehemiah was given favor from the king to move forward. Nehemiah was provided resources to build. Nehemiah was provided security to reach Jerusalem to build. Nehemiah was provided an outline of what to build from God. Nehemiah was provided a timeline Regarding to build to the point where the king asked him, how long will it take you to accomplish this? And when Nehemiah talking to God, he had that information on site. Now, we believe that God is not a respectable person, which means God is not. Um, he doesn't show partiality one to another. According to Romans 2 and 11, then that means God has given us the same thing to build when he has called for us to build as well. Now, Nehemiah Nehemiah was sent by God to rebuild the walls of Jericho. But what God is calling us to build corporately and also individually has the same level of value to our God. Also, God can provide us with the same items needed to build. So I submit to you this question. What has God called you to build? What is the thing you have compassion for like Nehemiah did? What is the thing that moves your spirit, not by emotions, but by the spirit that therefore you start to think about a plan to be able to do what God told you to do. What is the desire that God is taking you to to be able to restore something back to its original condition? Now, if you're not at that place, then take a step back and ask yourself what skills has God given you that you are not thinking about or using? See, our gifts and callings come from repentance. In other words, yes, our gifts will make room for us, but the question is, which house is the gift-making room in? Because it can make room for us in our mansion in heaven or in our cave in hell. And we have to understand that we got to choose whether we're going to use our gifts and calling for what God intended them to be or not. Because the thing about gifts and calling, they will not reach their maximum effect if they're not connected to the original source. In other words... If there was a fly or a spider right now in this place, I can take off my shoe and kill it. But my shoe was not designed to kill the fly or to take out the spider. It will do the job, but it won't do it effectively. Just like how when we go and put gas on our vehicles, you can put whatever gas you want in your car, it may run for a moment, but there's particular gas that our cars, our vehicles need to operate at its most optimal level. And it tells us what it is, but do we bypass the sign that it says on our gas tank of which type of gas we need to use for our vehicles? In other words, do we bypass when God puts that compassion upon our heart? Do we bypass the moment where we know God is pulling on us, but we say, nah, God, I ain't the one built for it, I ain't the one designed for it. Remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, which means he was in a space, an atmosphere, where he saw business take care of. Nehemiah was not given any characteristics of being able to be a builder by hands. But here's where we have to expand what God's trying to say as being a steadfast builder. Being Being a steadfast builder isn't just physical structures. Being a steadfast builders means we are building something that will outlive our life and stand the test of time for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to build on top of because the foundation that was built on is God. And when it goes through the fire, when it goes through the storm, when it goes through the trial and tribulation, when people start saying things about it, when people start saying you're doing it incorrectly, it will stand in the midst of everything that comes against it and be able to be an inheritance that can be down from generation to generation that break down the generational curses that change the environment within our cities that change the mentality of those who do not understand who God really is but are we willing to understand that it's not just always a physical thing that God wants us to build He took the children of Israel through the wilderness for a reason, to rebuild them and get rid of that Egyptian mindset and mentality, because he knew if they enter the promised land with that mentality, it would destroy the very thing that he had set up for them. Let's keep moving. So, once again, we've already left the gateway. We've already taken off. Now we're going to start getting to that cruising altitude. When we start venturing into Nehemiah 2, what we know is some characters start to resurface again. And that's the Bolt and Tobiah. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna go through the historical reference. Just know they are the main haters in Nehemiah's story. They come back over and over and over again. But I wanna point out some important reasons and times that come in. Because as we're being steadfast builders, We have to understand the purpose of detractors and haters that will try to come against the move of God that we're walking into, the things in which we're building. And the one purpose that our detractors have, it gives us the the opportunity to say the vision and faith. What do you mean? Here we go. So Nehemiah had to say the vision to the team first that's in Jerusalem, in Judah. And then to the detractors, Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18 says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he has spoken to me. Meaning he shared all the things I talked about in Nehemiah 2 earlier of how he got to Jerusalem. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah's first thing he had to do was address any type of detractors that would be in Jerusalem, the people, the manpower necessary to be able to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. He first had to say it to them. Then comes the haters. When we look at 19 and 20, because, and this is going to be a very interesting phrase, in 19, but when Subaltered the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite officials, and Geshem the Arab heard, I'm going to come back to heard, so apostle, get ready to shout, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel or rebel against the king? pause. They heard. Did it say they saw? They heard. They didn't see. But they heard of the idea of rebuilding. They didn't hear no instruments. They didn't hear no chiseling. They didn't hear no carrying. They heard the thought of what Nehemiah was about to do. And if you Go back to Nehemiah 2 or 1, you will or 2, earlier in 2, you will notice all of a sudden, this wasn't the first time they had a conversation with Nehemiah about this wall. So now they're like, hold on, you really about to build this wall? And the first thing they try to start to do is attack the identity of the people. They laughed at us. They despised us. They said, what is the thing you are doing when you rebel against the king? They try to change the purpose. They, When haters come against the things we're building, they're going to first try to attack our identity. Next, they're going to try to attack the, eva- the actual task and try to devalue it and try to tell us how good it's going to be or how not good it's going to be. The next thing they're going to do is then try to undercut us. But the thing I love about this is Nehemiah's response. And he says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no inheritance or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Now, for some of you may have in your mind the color purple statement until you do right by me, nothing you do. You can have that mental peace. But in reality, when you read the word, what Nehemiah said is, oh, you despise us. You against us. Watch what my God's about to do with us. Watch what's about to happen. And watch this. Wave the clap. When it's built, you ain't even welcome because of the words you spoke, just because you heard of what we're about to do. But look at Nehemiah's standpoint. It gave him the opportunity to finally say, this is what's about to go down. Sports fans, disciples, don't speak too soon on what God is telling you to do. Keep your mouth shut until he tells you to say it because once you say it the enemy is going to try to come in and cause some derailment in the midst of it just like he did in Genesis 3 and said that God really okay we'll just keep going second thing is that in the midst of the detractors one purpose to stand on the vision through action now I'm going to skip Nehemiah 3 because that's about actually building the wall and we're going to move on because four of the haters come back. One through three says, but it is, so, but it so happened. When Subaltern heard, 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 these, he seen, okay, move on. Heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and with very indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revise the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that was burned. Are they going to be able to do this? Like, seriously, are they going to do this? Come Remember, so Bo is talking to Tobai and his crew, his homeboy. Um, I'm sorry, by the way, you know how I said the word detractors, plural, right? Yeah. Haters run in packs. I'm sorry. Let me make sure I clear it up. Haters will run in pack. So if you see one, there's a group that's really talking bad about you. They just sent the spokesperson out to talk to you. That's right. Verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Let's talk about the haters some more. Nehemiah 4, 7-8, it says, now it happened again. When Sibol, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard, 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 heard. Ain't none of them seen it. Okay, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion and create confusion at this point they started to hear that the walls were starting to go up it wasn't done yet but the gaps were starting to close and they're like oh no we got to tear this thing up like we got to go in here and kick some things down we got to go in and attack them but we're not just going to attack their structure what they really recognized is that they were now in one accord they were now united they were now moving as one army, as one band, one sound. And not only are we going to knock down what they're producing, we're going to break them up as a people. We're going to create confusion. Now, my Bible tells me that our God is not the author of confusion, but the author of peace. So right there, we identify what the detractors were sent to do. So people of God, we have to understand, our detractors are not our friends. They're going to try to knock down our product as a gateway to try to cause us to be confused about the very call and assignment and task that God has given us to be able to build whatever that that may be. Whether it's a physical structure, whether it's a family nucleus that actually believes in the word of God, Whether it is getting a group of young men together to show them there's another way besides the way that the world tried to tell them to be able to advance their lives. Whether it is putting together a ministry that is unheard of, but actually start to address the needs of the next generation before it becomes a problem. What's going to happen is you start having naysayers start to come in and say, that doesn't fit our protocol. That doesn't fit what we do here. There's not a space for you. Or here's the lovely one. Ready for this, Rhonda? Mm. Go ahead and try it. We'll see. The passive aggressiveness of. So you don't even believe what I heard from God that this can be done. Come on. You're just gonna say. Mm, let me know. You are not even going to say? Let me pray to make sure I'm in alignment with you. Let me pray for you as you go through this. I don't understand it, but what I do understand is that I can pray and begin to back up darkness from you as you continue to seek God's face to give you the strategy to be able to build this very thing that will begin to dominate the area that you're in and may even have the ability to replicate around the world. That's what haters do. They don't want that to happen. And sometimes it's the people closest to us. So Nehemiah 4 and 9, what it says is Nehemiah answered. He said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I believe in prayer. Period. There's no, like, question mark. There's no however. There's no but. I believe in the power of prayer. What I believe is a gap that we have missed as believers is activating the power of prayer and listening for the strategy and action step afterwards. That we see prayer as just a one-way street telling God what is our problem and asking God to soothe us instead of using that irritation and going to God and say, God, how do I ensure that there is change when I move from this point? Okay, let me make sure I'm clear on what I'm communicating, Okay. We will go to prayer and use it as a wish list to God. Give me this. Give me that. I hate this. This sucks. This hurts. My big toe hurt. I got a headache. I got a mind gray. I'm fighting the spirit of depression for the 18th time. God, will you begin to soothe it? And we're looking for God to bring in a David to play the harp, to torment those spirits that are tormenting us. Instead of saying, God, this is what presented before me. How do we eradicate it so it no longer has a place in my life? God, what is the stronghold that is in my life? Where's the foothold to back this thing up? Where's the gap that needs to be closed so that it will not, it will know it is no longer welcome in my life any longer? Where's the generational beginning or root that even has this be an off branch into my life? And to stop and allow God to answer our question before we move forward with what he has shown us so that we understand that we address this before we lay the foundation. So, I believe in prayer, but uh, Nehemiah 4 and 9 tells us, he said, I made a prayer to our God. And because of them, not because of the enemy, not because of the haters, but because of my prayer, what God said, we set a watch against our haters day and night. There was a strategy that came out of the prayer that Nehemiah mentioned. Well, how can he trust God? It was the same prayer he gave when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem was was burned down, that he went to God and said, God, answer this prayer that I may go and know what to do. And all of a sudden, open doors came in where he was able to access all of the things that he saw other business owners do when they came to the king. He applied the lessons from the environment and atmosphere that he was had to be silent in to make sure the king lived. That now I get to not just be beside the king, but now I'm in front of the king, able to give him a, a petition. And I didn't have to try to fight for it. The king called me up. Yeah. And I activated and utilized the place I had. What position has God given you where he's saying, I need you to build in silence. I need you to be quiet for a moment because I need you to see how the game is played. So that when it is your turn up, you won't play their game their way. You'll bring me to the board and be able to speak in a way that will cause for them to give you favor. It will cause for them to give you access. It will cause for them to give you resources. It will call for you, them to give you land. It will cause for them to give you things that is above your station. But really, it's not above your station because we believe we are seated in heavenly places with all things under our feet, including the resources and the land that are necessary to fulfill the very purpose that God has given us. So once again, make sure we're clear, part part of the reason for our detractors, number one, we're able to say the vision in faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, then can you say the faith that God, can you say the vision that God's giving you when he told you to say it in faith and not be like, God told me to do this. No, say it. My God said this, this will happen in Jesus name. Number two, to stand on the vision through action because he heard that they were about to come and try to knock off everything. But in prayer and getting ready, he stood stood on the vision through the action. The action was the prayer and setting a watch. But the third thing our detractors do a great job for us. It gives us the ability to defend the vision and the mission that God has given us. When we look at Nehemiah 4 and 15, it says, and it happened, when our enemies heard heard that it was known to us, basically what they're trying to do, and that God has brought their plot to nothing. I don't know why y'all not shouting right now, because in the midst of Nehemiah's story, the the, the, the the tractors heard that whatever they're trying to do was brought to nothing. And that's a moment to celebrate that when we know that the enemy, the devices, the, the, the haters, the naysayers, where they may be, know that their plot's not going to work. That's the one for us to, sh- to show. Because I thought the Bible says that the weapon will be formed against us, but it shall not prosper. And if you go a little further down that scripture, it says it's an in it's inheritance. It's part of our heritage. Yes. That we'll see the weapon, it will form, it may even go off, but it shall not prosper. not prosper. But that's not the end of the verse. It says that God has brought their plot to nothing, that all of us return to the wall and everyone to his work as a body. Let me give a little bit of correction here. We're real good to pray fast, ask God for strategies, do all those things. What we are still working on is returning back to the task God gave us after we have the victory. There was still work to be done because what was Nehemiah's assignment was to rebuild the wall. The wall was halfway built. So when the attacks came, he didn't stop. The task wasn't done. My original assignment wasn't done. The walls aren't finished. We need to finish the wall. So what they do? We got the victory. We heard the knock on come. Guess what? Let's get back to work. Do do. Let's go. Because it's not done. Why am I stressing? The work is not done. The people of God. The work is not done for us as well. We have a vision that we are to fulfill. There's a mission God has given us. And this house is based upon Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Are we teaching in all the nations? Are we we telling them all the things we observe? Because I'm believing that God keeps revealing things to us day by day by day, which means that means there's some new stuff I got to teach some people that God has taken me to. See if you're realizing for those who've been here in the you know for a long time for us the church, you heard me talk about Nehemiah three and go through this wonderful Bible study about the gates and the purpose and all of that. Even Apostle today talked about you know getting things through the done gate. It is awesome. It is amazing. But notice where are we cruising at right now? Nehemiah four, the next chapter. What is the next chapter God is trying to get us to, but we won't turn the page and get off of the last place God moved and start moving with God because there's a newness that's happening. If we mature, there's a time in which we have to stop eating the dish and start cooking the dish because there should have been a curiosity on how did you make that and not a complacency to say, I'll just eat at the table. When do we start cooking the dishes? For those who come behind us, i break it down. Thanksgiving is coming. When do we start giving up the recipes to the next generation for them to take it to the next level? Instead of saying, my mac and cheese is the bomb and no one can have the recipe. My, pe- my pecan pie is awesome, but no one can get the recipe. No one can learn how I made the crust for the apple pie. No, what that is, is that is pride. That is not humility. And there's a point in which you have to get off your blessing assurance or God will move you off your block and begin to give them the recipes so they can see how to make it. Watch this. Healthier so the next generation do have to deal with all the health things that that came. But also in the midst of it, they can then access their history on what this is. Because the thing about cooking the meal and all of that is that someone has to stay in the kitchen and cook. When we bring in the next generation to see how to cook, sorry, mom, love you. Then we start to tell them the things about our family on why this is the case. And it gives them an avenue to be able to ask well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we live here? Why did you stay here? Why do you use sugar? Why do you use salt? They get to finally ask a question, and we make the atmosphere where we can begin to share with them the lessons and the word that God has given us in a non-threatening way in which they'll retain it because they remember a positive experience. When someone took the time to tell them something that was beneficial instead of telling them how bad of a kid they are. Philippians 1 and 6. It's not there. That's Okay. I'll say, Philippians 1 and 6, it says, being confident in this very thing, that he who has done a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are incomplete works that God is working with us and through us to be able, so that when we are done, he's able to see his image inside of us because we don't serve an incomplete God. We serve a God of completion. 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 We serve a God of com- So we have to allow our enemies our detractors to help us identify the weak spaces that are still in our wall. We have to let the storm identify the weak points Come on. that has and take the time to fortify those very things. Remember, Nehemiah 2 and 17 says, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. The goal was to no longer be a reproach. And so for us as steadfast builders, we have to keep the goal in mind, or else we will fall flat in the midst of this thing. So, Nehemiah 4, 16-23, I won't read it, but I'll tell you what ended up happening. What happened was, once they identified, we needed to be defense and watch day and night. This is when they finally started to get weapons on their shoulders. This is when they started to actually arm themselves while they're building. And this is when we get the image of they have a sword on one side and a hammer in another. Because then they started to be prepared for if the enemy were to try to attack. How does this connect to anything? Through prayer. Through the attack, they recognized there was still weakness of, if they came, we ain't got our weapons on us, y'all. So let's fix that. They didn't stop at, oh, this is what they identified. They did something about it. People of God, if God is showing you an area of lack somewhere, that means he's also about ready to give you the strategies on how to make that thing not a lack anymore. There's a gap that He that was identified, and Nehemiah took the people through the necessary step to be able to defend if it was necessary, even be able to address some of the other spots in the people because they realized that people got tired. So they started working in shifts. They started staying prepared to the point when you get to verse 23 that all of a sudden they realized we didn't even changed our clothes. We just kept going. The only time we took things off was to wash. But other than that, we stayed in our clothes. In other words, we were ready and we have to try to get ready. We stayed ready. We have to stay ready as well as believers. We have to continue to have that, the armor of God, the whole armor of God on, or else the enemy will try to catch us slipping. Let us land this plane. My last point is that we have to remember to build to honor God. Build to honor God. If you read 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15, read it at your own time, but what I want to make sure I highlight is what's in verse 10. Let me get there for you. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no, I'm going to 11, I got to keep going. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We are said to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. You have the license to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But no, whatever you build will have to go through the trial and the test and the fire. If it stands, praise God. If it doesn't, as verse 15 illuminates, you may escape barely, but it will be burned up. Why do I bring that up? Because as we're being steadfast builders, hopefully you've also picked up that we can build anything for any purpose. And we have to make a choice that what we build will be built to honor God. Let me put it this way. Do not allow the work to be your co- to become your God. Honor the God who has assigned you the work. I'm going to say it again for those who like to do all the Snapchat and all the comments. I'm going to make sure you hear this. Do not allow the work to become your God. Honor the God who has assigned you the work. Tax into the gate. Exodus 20, 3, 4, 5, and that lovely number 6. So I want to make sure you see on the screen. And boom. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Us building to honor God is bigger than us. When you read that scripture, you recognize our next generations on the line based on the decisions that we make. Are we building? Are we building to make sure there's a legacy and a heritage for them to have? Get your mind off of finances when I talk about inheritance. Are we building a legacy and inheritance for them to receive and to move forward, where our ceiling becomes their floor, or are we building so that when it's time to hand it off, we blow up the building and tell them to start again? Are we giving them the keys to success, so that the fires that we had to go through at age 25, they don't have to deal with it at all? Or let's make it real. The situations we dealt with at the age of 26, are we giving them the strategies because they're dealing with that at the age of 11? See, we've been talking about, in our time, we may talk about, oh, a girl, there's teen pregnancy in the school, and what happened, whatever. that conversation is starting to be had at the end of elementary school now. Or, as a seventh grader. Or as an eighth grader. During that time period, what people say is forgotten years because they feel like there's no structure, all these things are going off the walls, hormones, all this stuff, boys, girls, 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 boys, boys, all this stuff is presented before them, but we didn't have to deal with that until we were 23, but now they got to figure out what's happening at the age of nine. And so now we can say, well, I've dealt with the situation and I have wisdom here, but we're not willing to give that to them here. And then we wonder why they act in bunkers at the age of 12 because we never saw them at nine to ensure that they had the information so that when it came up, they were prepared. Because we never set the strategy in place when they were just born. To speak to them as adults. So they hear our voice, not when we're yelling, not when we're fighting, not when we're screaming, but they hear that still small voice. To be able to recognize, that's my mom's voice, that's my dad's voice. And to be able to sink it to, that's what God is saying through them. And to sit them down and explain things to them of where this is at, this is where it's at in the Bible. And to be able to say, now take the time and tell me, tell me what you heard me just say. What did you pick up on? And to be able to back up and say, okay, it ain't time to have this conversation, but I am setting a watch day and night ready To have the conversation when it's able to. But I'm not equipped to have the conversation. Then we need to have ourselves in Bible studies. We need to take our time to read the word. We need to go back and go back to the foundation so that when it comes up, we're not ill prepared. That we have our sword, which is the word of God, and we have our hammer building for them a safe place to go so that when they need to run in, they will see we're not the strong tower. God is the place of refuge. God's the strong tower. And they're in that place with us. And don't have to deal with the spirit of isolation. Yeah. Because we're saying, I don't know how to talk to my team. Go in their room. Kick open the door. Sit on their bed. Flip over all their puppets. Go into their laptop. Sit there and be present. Let them lead the conversation. Because what you'll realize is that they'll start identifying, telling you things. That now you can go back in prayer and say, God. I don't know how to have this conversation. Give me the strategies, sound like Nehemiah 1 again, right? Give me the strategies so I can build up my child so that when their assignment time is up, I prepare them with everything necessary as the starter kit, so that when I am no longer here as their parent, you are continuing to cover them and they can see you for who you really are and don't have to go through years of torment, pain and alienation because no one took the time to show them who God really is. Are we gonna be steadfast, builders or we're going to be steadfast spectators. As you stand to your feet on today, I invite you to the altar if you need to come or steadfast spectators.